Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 16 of the Build My Online Store podcast. I'm your host, Terry. And this week, I have Colleen from the Expert Message Group, where she helps speakers and authors brand their business online. And so I found her off the Shopify blog, where she does some guest posts. And I wanted to bring her on the show to talk about uh, what you should be aware of when you're starting your e-commerce store and you're thinking about building your brand in terms of which paths you should take and also things to consider starting out. Uh, so in this episode, we'll be talking about rising above the noise and we'll do case studies with two people that you may have heard of uh, Chris Gillibo and Tim Ferriss who are very successful online and we'll talk about how they approach their brands differently and we'll also talk about color psychology, site optimization, and much more. If you enjoy the show, please do leave me a iTunes review. Uh, I will give your business a shout out on the show. And we'll also have live events soon, live uh, online training sessions. So if you're interested, take the one question survey to help us choose a topic at buildmyonlinestore.tv. Literally just one topic, one question takes literally 10 seconds to fill out. So please help me out there. And before we start, just some personal updates on my side. Uh, I'll be in Thailand later this week where my Mastermind Group, the Dynamite Circle, will be hosting our global meetups. So previous guests uh, like Dan Andrews from Modern Cat Designs, JP and Kenny from Top Condoms Canada in episode 5, and Dan Norris from Web Control Room in episode 15 will all be there. So uh, we'll be there to exchange some ideas and talk about our businesses and uh, just to meet everyone and see what's up. So another thing is JP recently quit his job. He'll be traveling around China before then learning about manufacturing. So I'll also do a follow-up episode with him to get his takeaways from this trip. So with that said, let's just get into today's show. started and so I found you on the Shopify blog I think you wrote an article uh, about solopreneurs and kind of some branding so I wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit kind of go more in depth on that and so can you just kind of give us a little bit about your background before we start sure um, I graduated from the University of Tulsa in 2008 with an arts management degree which is something that's kind of a growing field but it's basically like if you want to be a visual artist's manager or a, a band manager or something like that. That's what the degree is. Um, and so it's a mix of business and art. So I took some graphic design classes. I took some business classes. I took marketing classes. I took all kinds of stuff or all over the spectrum. When I graduated, I actually opened a restaurant with my husband. And you have to kind of fail before you really learn something. And I tell people that I learned a lot more from failing than I did from college. Um, our business had to close after eight months. We lost a lot of money and we learned a lot. And I decided I never wanted to work in a restaurant ever again. But what I, the part I really enjoyed about running the restaurant was the marketing and the branding and the social media and getting people excited. Um, and so I actually joined a publishing company as a brand manager for some of their authors doing publicity and marketing for them. Through that job, I met my current business partner, Sheree Alexander, who's a speech coach and speech writer. Um, and she's at the top of her game. And I was just like 
I'll give me whatever you have. I want to learn from you. And we had this amazing chemistry between the two of us that you don't really find every day. And so I, once the project we were working on was over, I was like, I just don't feel like I want to let this go. I feel like there's something here. Um, we had been working with an, with an author who wanted to become a speaker. And we were working on her website. We were working on her speech. We were working on how we could integrate the book and sell the book and the speech and things like that. And we really came up with this idea that she needed to have a personal brand. She needed to have a website. She needed to be clearly recognized in the marketplace of speakers as the speaker on her topic. Um, and so we built that together and, and we came up with our business plan for Expert Message Group, which is that bridge between being an author and being a speaker and selling books at the back of the room. And it's really for people that see the value in self-publishing, that have their own platform, that have their own audience, that they don't really need a traditional publishing house to sell their books because they're selling tons of books at the back of the room and they don't want to share the margins with those publishers. So that's kind of our niche. A big growth point for us in the past year has been the branding side of things. We work with a lot of authors and speakers on their websites, on their logos, on their personal brand. That kind of gives them a leg up in the marketplace as far as, because a lot of speakers and authors, they just go with it and they say, oh, I've written this book. And so why isn't anyone coming to my Amazon page and buying it? And it's really about, you know, it's a small business just like anything else. And when we're just trying to give people that extra leg up on the competition to help sell their products. So yeah. I see. And so before we get into this, like how has branding really changed in the new world versus the old world? Well, I guess we would call the old world would be more of the offline brand, more like your storefront, more like if you have a brick and mortar business, people think a lot of the really strong brands that have been around for a long time, like Sears and McDonald's and those kinds of people went back in the 90s before people, everyone was online. That was what a brand was. It was just like a giant company that you trusted and you always go there. You know, you go there because you know what, what to expect. And and they always deliver consistency. And it was always, it was kind of like a one-way interaction too, right? Basically, they're just talking to you and... Yes, there's no, there's nothing coming back from the customer. It's top-down kind of communication. Um, and, they, and they're just, they're putting out there what they want to put out there. They don't have any kind of feedback from their audience as to whether this is what they want. They're just doing it and they're putting out their printed materials and they're putting out their stuff that's not online, they're, how they merchandise, all that stuff is part of their brand. And the way that things have pretty much changed is now everyone has a brand, whether they know it or not. And it's also being totally influenced by the audience because we can have that conversation now because of social media. Everything from your logo to your, the business name to the names of your books to the names of your speeches to the names of your products, all of that stuff can be completely sort of crowdsourced and you can get this awesome interaction going with your customers. And because they have that buy-in, then they're so much more likely to actually buy from you because they feel like they were listened to. Yeah, it's funny. And, you know, you look at some of the big personal brands these past few years, like I guess like Chris Gillibo, kind of in the blogging world, you know, like, like Gary Vaynerchuk, Tim Ferriss. These guys were all kind of like the first generation of 
big brand guys. Yeah, right? yes, they are. And they all have really different strategies about how they approach their personal brands. Yeah, and so for someone just starting out, I mean, it's it's kind of different to look at yourself and look at them like, oh, you know, they're big now. And it's kind of a different perspective in terms of personal brand. But for someone just starting out, you know, what can we learn from them and what they've done? Well, and uh, some of this we'll probably get into a little bit later, but um, Gilbo and Tim Ferriss, for example, have taken two completely different paths. Gilbo creates a new website and a new name for each venture that he does, and he builds a brand for each different option that he has. So he has the Art of Nonconformity. He has a $100 startup. Each of those has their own website and their own look and their own brand and their own target market. So he's not going name-driven. Like, you wouldn't... Most people don't associate, you know, all that stuff with Chris Gilbo, even though it is him. Whereas with Tim, Tim Ferriss has driven completely off of his name and the four-hour name. So he has marketed with the name The Four Hour. So four-hour body, four-hour work week. And now coming up, he's coming out with The Four-Hour Chef. So he's really kind of unified everything under one umbrella. Now, I don't know that that's his future strategy for everything, but that's definitely the way he's done it up until this point. And there are benefits to doing one or the other. Um, that's something that we now, as people starting out, have kind of an advantage that we want to make that decision a lot of times, like um, with Tim, he didn't actually have, he didn't know that he was going to name it the four hour work week until he tested that title. And that's what came back. He doesn't actually even like that title. And so he's just kind of going with the momentum on that. And he didn't know that that would be the brand he was trying to build until he was actually in the middle of the process. When we're starting out, we can actually sort of decide what trajectory do I want in two years and five years and 10 years? Do I want to be known as myself because that way I can talk on several different topics? Or do I want to be known as this brand that's the expert on this one thing that everyone comes to for information on that one topic. There's just a bunch of different ways to go. And so since we're on this topic, let's just kind of break each one down. So for a name-driven brand like, I guess, Tim's, like what are some advantages and disadvantages of going that method? Right. So the advantages of using your name and your personality are that you become known as an expert as yourself. So the advantages are if you have a certain expertise, if you're a consultant or if you have, you know, information products or whatever that you're selling online, um, then people will search your name to find those products in your site. The more that they're searching your name, the more you want to, you know, get in on that SEO and get up in the top rankings for people searching your name. Now, something to consider, if you have a name like John Smith, there are thousands of John Smith and people are going to Google John Smith and they won't be able to find you because there's no way you're going to break into the top of that. Definitely look into what other people have your name on Google and, and what their rankings are and can you beat them? Because if you can't, then it's something to consider to definitely go with naming something your a company name that you can definitely get more traffic from the search engine that way. Yeah, kind of a funny story. I thought about starting this website as terrylin.com, but I realized there was actually a singer from the 80s, uh, an Asian singer with that name. So I was like, oh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have I've had clients that have gone up against that. And I have a reporter in Las Vegas with my name. And so every time she has a story on TV in Las Vegas, it it comes up and it's constantly refreshed. And so it's really hard to get anything up there if anyone's searching my name. 
whereas there's no one else called expert message group. So people search that and they automatically come to me on the first one on the, on the you know, page results. So that's something to think of, of course, when you're, when you're naming and deciding which direction you want to go. So if I have a you know, really catchy name that I can dominate in Google, I mean, what are some downsides I should be aware of if I'm going that route? You've got to calculate in some time for people to become aware of you and your name. I'm not going to go to Google and search Instagram. You know, I don't know what Instagram is. It's a made up word, you know, same as Google. I mean, like nobody knew what the word Google was. They have to sort of forge your own road there. So you're going to have less organic traffic coming to you. So you're going to need to punch up your keywords. So if, if your product is, you know, scuba diving equipment, you need to be in on the top search results for people searching scuba diving so that they can come and realize that your site, Scubarific or whatever, is gonna is the best resource for that. Okay. And so let's talk about the other one. So if we name products like Chris Gilbodas and like when, like let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, he has a really interesting strategy, which I'm not sure is the way that I would go, but I know why he does it the way he does. All of his products and all of his blogs have different URLs and they have different target markets and different designs. So the, the Art of Nonconformity is got that green background with like the scribbly at the top and it has all of his content for the Art of Nonconformity whereas he just came out with the $100 startup and it's 100startup.com and that's where you go to buy that book. So there's actually no interlinking between those two sites even though they're from the same person. And the reason that he does that is because he actually gets the people searching for startup stuff and doesn't end up getting confused with the art of nonconformity content. So he can act, his searches can be more pure for the, the different sites. It's not getting sort of intermingled. So in terms of targeting, it'll be more focused by... Yeah, it's more focused. And since he's such a pro at building a business really quickly, he knows all the ins and outs of, of getting to the top of the search results, you know, within a week of putting your site up. So he doesn't mind that he has to sort of start from scratch with a new name every time. For him, it's just, I've been there, done that. It's like a process probably already by now, right? Yeah, whereas with somebody just starting out, that would be a lot more challenging to do because he has those tools at his disposal to, you know, do the design and do the brand work on each one of his different things. A lot of times when we're solo printers, we don't have the resources to brand something new every year or every six months. Um, So we want to come up with a brand that's going to last, something that's going to give us longevity and, and really get us a bang for our buck as far as that goes. Yeah, and he's kind of more low-key too, right? He doesn't really put his name on front of these projects, I see. No, it's definitely not about him. Definitely the content is the center point of his stuff. Tim is a little bit more personality-centric, um, and, and he's just really eccentric in himself, so people gravitate towards him. With Gilbo, uh, he doesn't want it to be about him. It's about the product, it's about the content, it's about giving people what they want. And not that Tim doesn't deliver great content too, it's just that he's more, people are searching for Tim Ferriss because he went from geek to freak in 30 days or whatever. Whereas with Gilbo, they want to know what the $100 startup is. So they go to 100startup.com. They're not looking for Chris Gilbo himself. And he's, he's, kind of le- he's kind of less in the spotlight anyway. I think that's more of his personality is to just kind of let the content speak for himself. Yeah, I think he gets the flexibility to choose what projects really Interesting, right? Whereas Tim Ferriss, kind of the spotlight's always on him. So people kind of 
overanalyze what he does? Is that what you see too? I think he's in the spotlight more. He's one of those, he's an angel investor. So people kind of see him as, oh, I could pitch him. He gets a lot more of that kind of stuff, whereas Gilbo just kind of stays lurking in the background and does his thing. And he's not really into getting pitched or doing guest posts or anything like that. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen him do a guest post anywhere now that I think of it. Yeah, no, he doesn't. And then he doesn't really put his name on, like he doesn't give endorsements and stuff like that. He's really more about like the content is the main thing and he's about making money off of his content. That's what he wants to do. And so have you seen people that have made the switch between both in your experience? It's really hard to do that. Um, It's really hard to do that. What I've seen is people come to me after they've gone down one road and they wish they had gone down the other road. Most of the time it's someone who went with their name out front and they were the center of the brand. They were a personality driven brand and then they wanted to break into another expertise. And it's really hard to do that because you're known as the guy who does that thing. And if you want to split off into something else, your fans are going to look at you and be like, I don't, that's not why I come to you. I don't come to you for that. I come to you for the first thing you started on. So it's kind of, it's really hard to go back. So that's why it's important to make that decision at the beginning and stick with it um, and know what your 10 year and your five year and your six year plan is um, because it can really affect you later on if you want to switch. And so would the other way of switching around be a little easier then relatively? Relatively, yeah. I actually have a client right now that I'm working with. He's he's coming from a small business brand and he wants to break out and be more of a, a personality-driven brand on his own. And that's a little bit easier to do because he has his customers from his small business uh, that recognize him and then he can sort of establish himself more with a new audience as himself singularly. So when you're choosing which path to take, you know, kind of what are some things you need to consider? Well, you definitely should consider, you know, what your main focus of income is going to be. Um, if it's, if it's going to be product sales, what kind of products are you doing? What kind of advertising and marketing are you going to be doing? Are you going to be using Google AdWords? Um, who are you going up against? Who are the leaders in that market? In your market, is everybody a personality? If everybody is a personality-driven brand, then maybe you could set yourself apart by become being a company-driven brand and, and maybe vice versa. Or if, if you feel like people wouldn't trust a company, people in your market won't trust a company-type brand, then maybe you should go with a personality. It sort of more um, depends on what, what people are looking for and what your long-term goal is. I mean, of course, the long-term goal for most of us is to make money finding out how your customers get comfortable. What are they used to seeing? Um, What are they wanting to see from you? What are they not getting somewhere else that they would be able to get from you? It being a company would make them feel more comfortable, then that's probably the way to go because end of the game with branding is you want people to feel trust and confidence in you and you should be consistent with that. So you want to pick something that's easy for you to stick to. Yeah, that's what I want to ask you because I see a lot of blogs that say just go personal, 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 but you know, I sometimes it's just it's just there's so many personal brands that it seems really crowded in the market too, so. Yeah, and one of the nice things about having a company brand is it doesn't have to be all you all the time. Um, you can definitely have other people blogging under your company. You can have your business partner blogging. You can have your employees blogging. It doesn't have to always be you. 
which gives you kind of nice because since as entrepreneurs, we're always working all the time anyway. Um, it's nice to be able to force some of that stuff out on other people <laughs> and not have to do all of it ourselves because it can get really overwhelming. Yeah, so that's something. So let's critique mine a little bit, right? So I chose Build My Online Store because I wanted someone to, when they search it in iTunes or when they see the website, they instantly know what it is, right? And is, is that what you got when you looked at it? Yes, I think your your web address is really i'm looking at it right now build my is it build my online store yeah build my online store.com i've noticed some people get confused with build your online store so that's something i probably too late to change now <laughs> well yeah i mean either way but did you go in to look at any of the search terms and see if people were searching build my online store as a search uh yes Yes, build online store came up a lot, but a lot of the guys like Shopify mm -hmm. kind of have that SEO dominated. So yeah, no, it's a good domain name. I think I think it was a smart way to go for you, especially because, like you said, Shopify and there's a ton of experts in your space. So um, going more with a phrase driven site name and domain name and stuff like that is is probably smart and it's probably easier to get them on into an under big umbrella of e-commerce than just to be a personal like terrylynn.com that's kind of what i got too right and when i hear terrylynn.com unless you're a tony robbins or a tim ferris i don't know what you do when i hear your name but when i hear build my online store i know oh that's going to help me because i have an online store so it it's better for me from my opinion and other people will probably argue with me, but if you're just starting out and you're wanting to build an audience, the best thing you can do is build off of organic SEO and do what you have done, which is, is find a phrase or something people are searching for and build off of that. That will build you faster than if you use your name. All right, so, so you mentioned, you know, we really need to take a long-term view of kind of choosing which way to build your brand. But as we go along, like since Branding is kind of an intangible thing. How can we find metrics to track where we're going? So a little, I'm, I'm kind of confused about the question. It's just, um, do you mean like, how can you tell if your brand is successful? Yeah, 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 that, yeah. that's what I mean. Um, yeah, it is kind of an intangible thing. That's, that's one of the things that makes it a little bit nebulous and, and people don't really understand branding. You can tell a lot by how people react to your brand and if you start paying attention to the way they are when they email you a first contact and the and how much actual interaction you're getting are you getting a lot of interaction on your Facebook page are you getting a lot of retweets are you getting a lot of traffic on your homepage? and those are kind of the ways that we can tell especially if we're building something from the ground up you want to see some organic growth patterns so it's okay if it's static for a while, but then you want to start to see it go up again and static and then go up again. And if your brand is really resonating and people sort of get what you do at the very first glance, then that will happen. But if it's sort of static and you're not seeing those kinds of things, then maybe there's some things we need to look at about how the site looks, where, what are people clicking on, what aren't people clicking on that you want them to be clicking on, and those types of things that you can change that are actually little tweaks that make a big difference. So I, I guess it's the subtle signs that you need to look out for. That's what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really about reading into what people aren't saying. Um, and that's something that my business partner does really well because she's a body language expert. I mean, when people email you, are they being extra formal are they being extra sort of cautious and careful? If they are, then maybe 
maybe your site is reading a little bit too cold and too too um, professional, too formal, right? Or are they are they emailing you and being like, "Hey, bro, what's up?" I mean, and if that's the reaction you want, then you're doing the right thing. Like with um, Thrillist, have you heard of Thrillist? Uh, no, I can't say I have. Sort of like Fab.com, where they offer you certain products. They they send you an email every day. And they offer you certain products, like, I don't know, one of them was they handpicked all of these clothes. And their, their market is definitely more of a younger male market. So the way they write their copy, they write it really funny and it resonates with a younger male market. And so I'm sure when they get emails back, they get things like, hey, bro, I really loved that thing in the email today. Because that's how they're addressing their customers. So you want to address your audience the way that you want them to see you. So this also goes into finding your own voice. You would be surprised how hard that is for people. I mean, even, and not just young entrepreneurs. I've had this problem with entrepreneurs that have been in the business for years. And they still don't really know who they are and what they're offering their customers. And how they're addressing their customers is sort of you know, hit or miss. I mean, maybe they get a couple of clicks through on their easy and every once in a while, but they can't figure out what's really missing. And a lot of times it's because they're really too close to it to sort of see. And that's where having an expert, a branding expert come in and analyze, how are you dealing with your customers? What are you saying to them? What aren't you saying to them that they're seeing? What's not being explained? Those kinds of things that you are so close that you can't see you know, having someone else come in and tell you those things is invaluable because, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're in it every day, our head is down. We don't see those little things. We just are doing it. We're taking out the trash. We're sweeping up the floor. We're doing all the things that we have to do to keep our business running. And it makes it really hard to see how other people see us. And it's kind of like the story where they say if you're inside a bottle, it's impossible for you to look from the outside in, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. So when you're telling entrepreneurs their brand, like, I mean, I'm sure some probably get like a bad reaction, like if something comes across the wrong way, right? Yeah, um, a lot of times they're surprised by, by what we find when we look into sort of into the jar from the outside and tell them what we see and they get kind of upset. Maybe not upset, but just a little bit like almost like embarrassed or hurt. It's like your baby. It's like telling someone that their baby isn't as cute as they thought it was. Uh, It's hard to do that. (laughs) People don't like to hear it. But once they settle with it for maybe a day or so, they really come back. They always come back and say, you know, thank you so much. You were so right. I, I just didn't see it. Like, for example, we had a client that um, he's a speaker and he's a he's the U.S. weather expert. Um, so he's an expert on hurricanes. He's an expert on tornadoes. And he does a speech, a keynote speech about weather. He came to us and saying, I just don't know where I'm missing the mark. I'm not ma- meeting my sales goals. And we had to come and look at him and say, no one cares about weather. You're driving something down the throats of people that they don't want. And you never ask them if they wanted it. And you never talk to them about what they would like to see from you or what they found interesting. You just did what you wanted to do. And now you're surprised that nobody wants it. It's like there's not a million of you out there. 
Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard sometimes. But they always come back and say, thank you. This is what I needed to hear. Yeah, and especially in this day and age where everyone is really, you know, they can choose where to put their attention, right? They can just filter out everything they don't need because there's so much now. Yes, the noise is very deafening and coming across as sort of refreshing and exactly what someone was looking for is getting more and more hard because there's so much out there to go up against. Yeah, and so, you know, since so to get... To rise out of the noise, what are some kind of the 80-20s you would recommend? Right. So a lot of the noise is people who don't know what they're doing at all. So we can automatically rise to the top by delivering amazing content and giving people information that they're not getting anywhere else. That's automatically going to put you in the top 20%. But then what's going to put you in the top 10% is amazing design and intuitive functionality of your site. There are so few online shopping carts and online stores that I feel like I know exactly what I need to do next. You know, where you go and you're like, I want to actually want to give this person my money and I can't figure out how. I don't know what, where the buy button is. I don't know what to do after I put the buy button. I don't know if I don't want to go to PayPal. What do I do? It can be very confusing. So if you actually set out and design your site and spend the money up front, which I know is hard. A lot of people don't want to do that. But if you spend the money up front, get that design to be more functional and more intuitive, you will see a lot more return. Yeah. Like one thing I noticed lately, I think there was the blogosphere was going around the, they were analyzing the iPhone 5 landing page. And you notice it's very, very clean. And basically you only have like two call to actions and there's nothing else you can do. Yeah. And they, I, I bet you they spent the last two years designing that page to be that simple. Benjamin Franklin, I think is the one that said, if you want me to speak for an hour, I'll write a speech in 30 minutes. But if you want me to speak for 10 minutes, it'll take me two days to write the speech. So it's like the less you have to convey, the more you need to think about where those buttons need to go and where that copy needs to go and how short it needs to be. Those things are really strategic and you have to put a lot of thought into that. And especially since every e-commerce store can have their own design, it makes it very uneven no matter where you're shopping too, right? So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, since you're using a lot of templates, um, a lot of people are on WordPress using the free templates and things like that. It's not uniform across the internet where your buy button has to be or where the next step has to be or where the next shopping page is. So, I mean, I suggest going to sites like Apple and sites sites where you have bought things. Critique, why did I why did I go through the buying process here? What was it that made me want to move forward with this person? And really think about your thought process and how you can integrate those things into your site. I guess the, the other kind of spectrum would be Amazon, right? Where it kind of is a really complicated page, but you're so used to the experience that you just, they even have like one click now. It's like. Yeah, Amazon <laughs> is kind of like, is kind of like one of, they've become almost like one of those old school brands we were talking about. They can dictate what, what you do now because they're so ever present and powerful that it doesn't, you're going to buy from Amazon. It's just a matter of when, and it's just a matter of how much you're going to spend. Like they know that about you. They know that. So they don't have to follow these like really clean guidelines and nice branded, well-designed site because they just don't have to. They're the Walmart of the internet. So the people we're talking to right now are not Amazon and they're not Apple. And so they need the most leg up that they can have. And the biggest leg up they can have is good design 
and functionality. And what would be next after that? Also, I think good copywriting. Study the copywriting as much as you can. Study what's good copy, what's bad copy, where you can find your niche in copywriting and how you talk to your customer. And if you don't feel competent in that, hire someone to do it because it is really important. One of the major themes of what I'm talking about is that you need to spend the money where it's where it makes sense to spend the money. And I know a lot of times we don't have a lot of capital to spend on things like this, but I want to encourage small business owners and entrepreneurs to build it into the business plan and save the money if you have to. Don't just pick the template and go forward and just say, okay, I'm just waiting for things to convert. I mean, it's good to get up something for now, but plan to develop your brand and develop your logo and develop your copywriting and develop all those things because that will, in the end, it will pay off. It will pay for itself. And one thing with copywriting is that like for non-copywriters, you tend to just write in how you speak and assume people know what you're talking about. Yeah, right? yeah. And yeah, that that ends up being pretty bad a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like these little things that I picked up that like where I think in copywriting they say if you need an exclamation mark, it means your point is actually not that strong. So you need to go rephrase it. The thing with copywriting is like you said, if, if you feel like you need to type 30 exclamation points after the sentence, then you're not making your point. Your point should be made from what you wrote not from the punctuation. I think it goes to the thinking that, oh, you know, it's just writing. I can do it myself, but it's actually very different. (laughs) It is. It's one of those things. These are the things that suffer the most in these kinds of small business situations because it's something that we think I can just do it myself. Like, Like with the WordPress free templates, I feel like I can just design my site myself and I can write the copy myself because I'm sitting here at the computer and I need it to get done today because uh, I need to be making money yesterday. So I just need to do it. And, and then once it's done, I move on to something else and I don't revisit it for five years. It turns out you're, lo- you're actually probably losing a lot of your conversions by not having those things done well. Things that you can do cheaply and, and basically mostly for free are where you place the call to action and how it looks. When Google designs a website, they stand 10 feet back from the screen. And if they can't see what the next step is from 10 feet away, then it's not prominent enough. If you show your website to your 98-year-old grandmother and she can't tell you what the next thing to do is, it's not prominent enough. So that's a free thing. You, you just need to make your buttons more prominent and clear. And this goes on to something I saw on social triggers called action colors. So basically you want to train people on like your link colors, your button colors. You want them to all be the same because if your text is red and your links are red, it kind of confuses people. Right. They don't know where to click. Yeah. And, and it's fascinating. Actually, I love the study of color. Like if you want your brand to say a certain thing, you want to choose which colors and things like that. But Also, with links and buttons, it's so funny how the brain is automatically trained to know this is the next thing to click, this is the next thing to do because of the way the colors are. So, like you said, you always want the links and the action buttons to be the same color because they've been trained from reading your content that, oh, that's that's the next step. If I want to know more about this, I click that and it's red. 
if I'm on your buy page, I know automatically, okay, that's the red button is where I need to go to do the next thing. That's so fascinating. These subtle things you don't even think about, but then you realize, God, that makes so much sense. Yeah. And- yeah. And, and it's so amazing. Like 90% of people, if you talk to them about why they bought something, they won't be able to tell you why. Yeah, exactly. And this is something I picked up on my site too. Like my, I think my main phrase on the site is orange. So I put all my sign up buttons and links as orange too, just to make it consistent. And- because I would have never thought about that if I didn't stumble upon this. Art. I would just made it like blue or something because <laughs> I thought it looked cool. Right. Yeah, exactly. And one of the advantages, too, of starting your brand from scratch is you get to make those decisions. And so I do encourage people, if they're not going to hire a branding expert, um, I do encourage people to do research on the color science and things like that. I'm working with a client right now in the travel space. Uh, he's a travel hacker. And so he helps people get really nice you know, travel deals for almost no money. One of the consistent color things in the travel space is blue and orange. For some reason, blue and orange speaks to people and says you can go on a great adventure. And blue also conveys trust, confidence, sort of more luxury. Same with green, but green is more towards the financial space, like, you know, Fidelity has a green logo, those kinds of things. There's a lot of really cool research on color and how to use color in your brand and, and what it's going to say to your customer. So I encourage people to look at some of that stuff. Yeah, Southwest is orange and blue, right? And also Travelocity, Expedia is blue. A lot of the travel booking sites are blue and orange. So we went with a blue and orange dominant theme. Also, blue is like sky. So you're like flying. There's a lot of sort of subconscious things that are happening that so much so much of it we don't see yeah like i live in asia a lot of airlines use green actually like eva airlines cafe pacific yeah and it's also cultural too a lot of uh, so if you use red in america red means red actually supposedly makes you hungry it also makes you want to hurry so a lot of fast food chains in the u.s use red whereas in asia red means passion and good luck and um, it's more of like an elevated sort of richness, you know, those kinds of words come to mind in Asia for red. So it's funny that a lot of times it doesn't translate cross-culturally. Those are also look where your site traffic is coming from. If a lot of it's coming from Asia or a lot of it's coming from Australia, then the research needs to be what does it mean for Australians or what does it mean for Asians? Not what it means for the West Coast or wherever you happen to live. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting because if your traffic's in one area, but you're using colors that apply somewhere else. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you're thinking, I'm doing such a great job. It's, it's conveying exactly what I want, and really, yeah. you know, orange means crap wherever your customers are coming from. You know, so yeah. All right, so let me ask you. I think I only have a few more questions left. I have kind of like a big picture one. So in the earlier, we talked about kind of the name-driven band versus the personality one. Uh, which one do you see kind of trending bigger in the next few years? <sighs> If there, if there even is an answer. I work with a lot of people that are name-based um, just because they're speakers and authors and they and that's how they make their bread and butter is on their name and they want people booking them on their name. Probably say more people are doing that. But it's funny, that's actually against my recommendation from earlier is that um, I, I would have those people create a company name um, based on where they want their customers to come from, what are their customers searching for. So that they can build some organic traffic because I'm not going to just search Susie, Susie Smith out of nowhere for no reason. 
Um, so you have to do a lot more legwork to get people to sort of see you that way. If there were so many personalities in the future, the noise would just be even bigger, right? And- right. And that's the thing about right now that everyone's sort of discovering is, you know, everybody has a personal brand. If you have a Twitter and a Facebook page, you have a personal brand and it's your name. It's, and people are realizing they can monetize their names. And so I think that's probably the one that's trending the most because it's easier um, and faster to just say, okay, I'm a business and this is it. And it's Terry Lynn Enterprises or whatever. Um, I think that's just where people are going, but I don't necessarily think it's the best way to go. Yeah. And when I see this kind of view we're talking about is like, I see it in the social media industry where kind of everyone goes by their own name, but it's like, there's so many social media people like experts and they're like, like who do you even choose right but i guess yeah you fade so far into the background of noise like i have so many things that i have to remember in a day that have to do with my life and what i need to do like i need to go to the grocery store i need to do this this is my list of things i have to do today i'm not going to remember your name in the name of being memorable and standing out i say start a company and have and have that be what you work under because there's a lot more flexibility there and you can already target with your company name into what you're about too, just right off the bat too so yeah yeah yeah. and people know what you do already they don't have to do the legwork of finding out where who you are what's your bio and why do i care anyway nice all right and so you mentioned you guys help uh authors and speakers that are kind of in that niche uh, like kind of because I don't really know that world how is it different because I know a lot of authors they do books and then they go do speaking gigs right is like like what's what makes it different or what makes them separate well there's a lot of crossover um, especially in the nonfiction sort of area when I when I talk about authors I don't necessarily mean fiction romance fiction writers and science fiction writers um, more like nonfiction writers more in the genre of Tim, of Tim Ferriss that we were talking about earlier um, sort of more, more sort, I guess, self-help type people, um, motivational, a lot of times you become a motivational speaker and then you realize you need to write a book because you can sell your book at the back of the room and make amazing amounts of money. A lot of times you, you just have this message inside of you that you need to get out and you want to write a book. And then you realize, oh my gosh, I could sell a lot more books. And there's people begging me to come speak because my book is so good. Um, so it kind of crosses over that way. It just uh, everyone has their own journey into, you know, which way they go. But most most speakers have books and most authors want to get into speaking. So and which transition has been easier? Have you seen? Uh, definitely speaking to writing books is more successful because um, there's a lot of math involved, but I can sort of break it down for you. Uh, as far as if you get a traditional publishing contract from one of the big publishing houses like Penguin or something, you're getting about 15% of every cover that you sell. If you self-publish your book and you already have an audience and you already have people that love to listen to you speak, you sell your book at the back of the room, you make about 80%. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. In, in the world of self-publishing that's rising, it just makes more sense. Right. And, and the, the landscape of that is changing every day. I pay so such close attention to it because... Every day there's an article coming out, oh, self-publishing is changing the world. Oh, self-publishing is, the stigma is gone. Oh, self-publishing this, that. Pretty soon there's not going to be major publishers anymore. So there's going to be self-publishing and that's it. And that's going to change a lot of the way people look at books. And I think it was 21 of the top 100 Amazon Kindle books were self-published. They were all fiction. But that gives a lot of space for nonfiction writers and other kinds of genres to come into that space and say, look, at these people are doing it. But I guess you could also say, you know, 
with so many people self-publishing, if one can get a book deal, kind of revert the other way, they can really stand out too. Right, yeah. And the goal still to me today, as of right now, is to self-publish your book, build your platform, build your community, and prove yourself to a big publisher that they will make their money back on you. And then they'll offer you a contract. That's really what success looks like for self-publishing for me right now. Um, and we're trying to broker some deals for our clients um, that have self-published with us. That's something that we do for you know people who have been successful with us. Uh, is just send out query letters and you say, look, it's a dangerous market out there. And I've already sold... 10,000 copies of my book. Do you want to take it to market? And a lot of times they'll say, hell yeah. No, without a question, right? If you have proven sales, proven audience, it's, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> less and less they're taking chances on people that have no name and no platform at all. I mean, the people that are getting book deals are Kim Kardashian and you know people that have already sold books. People who have name recognition and audiences that they can leverage. Because the bottom line and this is why they're probably going to go out of business is they don't do a lot of work. You're the one doing all the work and you're doing it for 15% of the cover, which is ridiculous. You're doing all the book signings. You're doing all the touring. You're doing the speaking engagements. You're doing all that stuff and you're under contract. So none of the content that you sold to them basically is yours anymore. Unless and less, it looks like a good deal for small business owners to do that. I mean, I guess they had the advantage when distribution was still in their hands, too. And now self-publishing is just... Right. Yeah. See, now Amazon is the king distri distributor. All the bookstores in the U.S., at least, are going out of business. I mean, Barnes & Noble can barely stay afloat, and that's because of the Nook. And Amazon is really where everyone's buying books. I can get on Amazon today. I can put up my book on Amazon today and it'll be published. And they're giving like uh, Kindle Fires away basically for like a ridiculously low price too. So. Yeah, they're really hard to compete with. They're changing the game 100% every step of the way. Yeah, okay. And so uh, I think that's it. So let's. can you tell us about kind of the expert message group and what else do you guys do? Sure, yeah. Um, we basically call ourselves the full service back office for authors and speakers and small business owners. Um, who want to get into writing books and making speeches if they aren't already doing that. So we write the speeches, we do speech coaching and delivery coaching on the speech, and then we also, you know, will help you publish your book all the way from idea to on the Amazon shelf. So we, we can also contract ghostwriters if you don't feel like, if you feel like you have this message inside of you that you want to get out, but you just don't Know that you have the skill to write the book yourself. That's one of the big competitive advantages that we offer, um, as well as all the editing and final eye proofreading that we do. It's not, it doesn't look like a self-published book at the end of the day. It looks like a traditionally published book. So there's that. And then we also do branding, which is what we talked about a lot today. Should have said, I probably should have started with that, but um, we, we build uh, WordPress websites for authors and speakers, um, and a lot of times they do have a back end of shopping cart and things like that for their books and products. And we do the everything from the logo design to the tagline development to, I mean, it's basically just a full picture brand that you have at the end of the day for that and a website that's fully functional and unique that no one else has. And where's the website we can find you at? www.expertmessagegroup.com and also my business partner and I blog on that website. It's expertmessagegroup.com slash blog. Uh, you can learn a lot more about the business of being an author or speaker or both on our blog. Yeah, very cool. All right, thanks, Colleen. You have a good day. Okay, you too. See you later. Okay. All right, bye-bye. Bye. To get more information,
information about running an online store, visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast.